Hello and welcome to the Vorthos cast. I'm Jay Anelli. I'm Lorelai Weissel-Labrizzi. And I have failed to introduce myself three times now. <laughs> That's Chris. <laughs> We've been having That's some, Delano. Having some Please. technical issues on today's episode. I don't like technology, actually. I saw the Terminator once when I was a kid, probably way too young, and I haven't trusted technology since. Big deal. I saw Terminator while I was an adult, and uh, adult me could beat the crap out of kid you, so I win. <laughs> okay, that's probably true, maybe. I don't know. I feel like I was meaner as a kid. All right, so... I don't care, you were smaller and weaker. I hate yeah, that's to, fair. to do this to the two of you, but the Terminator came out well before I was born, so... I mean, it came out before I was born, hence the seeing as an adult. Hold on, let me double check when the Terminator came out. <laughs> it was 86. 1984. 84? Yeah. Aliens was 86. Uh, uh, it came out the year before I was born. So not well before, but just a smidge before. And we've dated ourselves. Okay. So today, speaking of... No, there's no segue there. Uh, <laughs> today we're talking about uh, Elspeth Tyrell and the Angelic Ascension. Yeah, just real quick, though, when you make a joke about there not being a segue, that becomes a segue. I've used this tactic a lot. This is episode 249, and I've had to make a lot of creative segues. And, and joking about not having one is one of the ways to do that. So you actually did segue. I just need you to know that. Anyway, Elspeth. Excellent. 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 <laughs> so, yeah, there's... um. In, in, in terms of news, uh, by the time you're listening to this, I think there's Lord of the Wings, something something along those lines is uh, is, is going to be previewed. Uh, we're going to have a, a, a lore guy who's a big Lord of the Rings person on in a couple weeks. Uh, but today we're still talking about magic and we're going to talk about Elspeth, her backstory and the Angelic Ascension. Like I think I already mentioned, because we are doing awesome today. I think before we get too deep into it, uh, I do want to say that the date after this episode airs is the first day of previews for Lord of the Rings, uh, Tales of Middle Earth, uh, whatever other subtitles are on that, which is cool. Um, But also uh, the next episode of this podcast is episode 250. So I don't know exactly what we're doing to make it special, but... Uh, we want people to celebrate with us, so probably send us questions. Or it'll, it'll probably just thoughts. be a mailbag. mailbag. Yeah, mailbag. I, oh, we haven't done a mailbag in a while. I like mailbag episodes. People you know, are. we ha- we do we still have like we still have like twenty we didn't answer from last time. Oh, do we? <laughs> Maybe yeah, don't yeah, send us scroll, scroll down in the agenda. We have so many listener questions we didn't answer. But we want sure everyone who asked them for more that. relevant yeah, ones. We'll just delete those. Um, <laughs> don't delete them yet send us questions and we might cherry pick some of these old ones if they're good uh also the last time we did a mailbag episode was coincidentally episode 200 um which also came about wow that was a lot <laughs> wow really yeah which also came about uh two weeks after we did an episode all about elspeth Terrell. That's great. <laughs> There's a theme developing on the podcast. We're so consistent. Every 50 episodes is one episode of Elspeth Terrell and one mailbag. That's just the rule now. All right. Shards of Alara. Let's go. Excellent. So Shards of Alara <laughs> is when we first meet Elspeth. She is a knight on Bant with a tragic history that we don't learn a ton about just yet. 
Uh, however, and I'm gonna keep I'm gonna keep this pretty high level because we have covered these uh, stories a lot. We 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 know it was a Phyrexian prison. We learned that in Scars of Mirrodin. You sure that's not in the Alara webcomic? I'm pretty sure. We know she was in like a a prison, but I don't think they mentioned Phyrexians by name. That's all in the webcomic Honorbound where they reveal that stuff. Uh, it's all just, it's been so long now that it all blends together pretty seamlessly. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I it's, all, it's a lot of this we got dribbled out over time. I don't like yeah. the word dribbled out there. <laughs> uh, so Shards of Alara, she has been hanging out. You know what? Let's just cover it in uh, in what's at her actual backstory rather than trying to piecemeal it in. I think Lorelai is 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 right on that front. Uh, so we know Elspeth Tiro grows up in a Phyrexian prison on New Capenna. Uh, it is like out in the wilderness. These are some of the last of the original uh, Phyrexians there that are they're they're implied in one of the the later sources one of the like i think the phyrexian stories that there was something not quite right about these phyrexians like maybe the halo had kind of just degraded them to the point where they were just doing stuff to do stuff they they didn't really have much of a uh uh an aim anymore they're kind of just torturing their prisoners to to do it her spark ignites uh and she escapes and she winds up on theros where she meets Daxos uh, and also acquires the godsend, which kind of literally falls from the sky, more or less into her lap. She says, yoink, and pops off with it. Uh, and we meet up with her again on Alara, like I was just mentioning, uh, where she has been uh, studying for years and years to be a knight. Uh, she is a... She has her own squire, a, a boy named Aran, or a young man named Aran. Uh, and she is, you know, a very accomplished warrior. Uh, and that is when a Johnny Goldmane sort of falls into her lap as well. These these things just kind of hap- keep happening to her here. Who hasn't had a cat fall in their lap? It's right. So cute. Uh, well, through a Johnny, she gets involved in the conflux, which is all orchestrated by Bolas, which doesn't matter for her overall plot. Um <clears throat> But what does matter is that when Bant uh, converges and meets up with Grixis again, the hordes of Grixis invade. And uh, Elspeth helps kill the ruler of Grixis, the demon dragon Malfagor. Uh, she basically uses her second ability on... I, I loved this era because Planeswalker abilities were spells used in-game. Uh, so she uses one of her Planeswalker abilities to give uh, Rafik of the Many, like, plus three, plus three in flying, or plus two, plus two in flying, whichever it is, on her uh, original card. Uh, and he cuts Malfagor in half. And uh, after that, she gives up her armor and she leaves because... She feels she's not worthy of this place uh, and that it has been tainted. And she came to Bant because it was a really idyllic plane. There was nothing on here that could remind her of her uh, youthful trauma. Actually, yeah, of, of course, Rafik cuts Malfagor in half. He's half dragon, half demon. Yeah, yeah. Just poof, right into a demon and a dragon half. That is exactly what happens. And we're not being sarcastic. Uh, you are correct, by the way. Uh, it is not specified that it's a Phyrexian prison in the original Honorbound comic. Uh, it is heavily implied, and one of the jailers is, the, like, they show one of the Phyrexians. It's creepy, yep. Mm-hmm. But uh, mm-hmm. 
I I think it was one of those, hey, if you're a longtime player and very clever, you might identify these as Phyrexians. But uh This is this is also a weird time in lore where like it was it wasn't clear yet how long it had been since the mending. Uh, mm-hmm. And some things were written to as if the mending had been a lot closer than it ended up being. Uh, but yeah. Anyway, Scars of Mirrodin, we pick up with Elspeth in uh, Dominaria, where she is a pit fighter, basically. And she ends up having a battle with Koth, who is on Dominaria looking for help with his Phyrexian problem. Uh, after that battle, she they she sees the Phyrexian symbol carved into Koth's arm and like, it's very, very angry and upset uh, and almost kills him, ends up leaving him behind. And a Johnny comes and kind of gives her a pep talk, returns her armor. And then Koth comes and explains himself and says he brought, he, he wore this symbol because he, um, he wanted to remember it. Uh, He wanted to show it to people and be able to, find people who knew what it was and he asks for her help they end up getting venser involved and i'm not going to go into the whole plot of the novel or all the meat holes they go down on new phyrexia <laughs> uh if you, if you want to delve into that there's um there's plenty of time yeah you really did not have to use the word meat holes there you, you could have no, left it, that out no 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 it is is very specific that those words are used yeah, that is from the novel A Quest for Karn, which I do not recommend you read, but... This is just canon. The, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, but you could have given some warning before just saying meat holes. <laughs> A content advisory before I talk about Quest for Karn. <laughs> Who wouldn't want to dive down some greasy, oily meat holes? Come on. Yeah, I'm gonna. Okay. I'm not gonna touch that one. Just like I'm not gonna touch any greasy, oily meat holes right now. All right. Uh, so anyway, they eventually journey into Mirrodin's core. They meet Malira along the way, uh, who is immune to glistening oil and completion. Uh, she has an encounter with some blink moths that gives her the ability to transfer transfer her immunity to others and cure others up to a certain point. Uh, so if you're not too far infected, she can remove the infection. Uh, and she does this to Koth, Elspeth, and Venser. Uh, and then the three of them manage to make it into the core, find Karn, who is too far gone, uh, and Venser ends up, like, teleporting his heart-slash-spark into, into Karn. We've kind of gone with spark more lately, because the, the, the book implies it's his literal heart, but that... Um, That'd be kind of gross. So I think <laughs> I think it's more uh, I mean, metaphorical. It's it's like there's also nowhere like where's he teleported to? Like Karn, Xantra's power stone is where Karn's spark is. Yeah. Like yeah, you, yeah. You teleport your literal heart into a robot, your heart just dies and your spark is extinguished. I think I think it is much more reasonable to be, uh, you know, his his spark transfer thing. So we the story leaves off around there. Uh, New Phyrexia takes over the plane. Uh, Elspeth, Koth, and Karn are kind of the resistance for the for a while until Karn leaves. Oh, good luck to them. Uh, yeah. yeah. Then they tried to uh, Koth and Elspeth tried to assassinate Elish Norn uh, before she can solidify power. How's that go? And and it it doesn't go well. It doesn't go well. Let me tell you. Uh, they plant this bomb, but it ends up being a trap and. Koth forces Elspeth to planeswalk away 
uh, by doing something he did similarly to uh, Venser, which is uh, encase her in stone. And basically, she was going to die if she didn't planeswalk away. And the reason he did this is he didn't want Elspeth to, even if they survived this fight, it was getting kind of hopeless. And he didn't want Elspeth to die on this world if she didn't have to. Uh, so then in Theros, we pick up with her. She's a mercenary near Akros. Uh, and her sword comes to the attention of some gods, uh, namely the Godsend, which has the ability to, you know, kill gods. Seems really this, useful. It is. This is a this is one of those longer plots. The the Theros story is really good. If you want to know who Elspeth is as a character, I highly recommend just reading um, Godsend Part One and Godsend Part Two. They're like two dollar eat novellas. They're not they're not long reads at all, but they're really good. Yeah, if you want to know who Elspeth is as a character, uh, a boy stabber actually. Uh, yeah so uh we we meet up elspeth ends up meeting up with daxos again in the course of all of this uh they fall in love and xenagos causes her to hallucinate during this party after they defended akros from this minotaur invasion and uh she hallucinates that daxos is a phyrexian obliterator or a phyrexian negator you know one of the archetypical classic phyrexian designs and she stabs him with a meat skewer and kills him. Uh, and because Daxos was an oracle of Heliod and beloved by a number of the gods, uh, she becomes basically uh, Theros's most wanted. And she just wants to get revenge on Xenagos, who uh, had used this great revel at this after party after the invasion to ascend into godhood. Eventually, she gets to Nyx with, again, the help of Ajani, who's come to Theros looking for her. And she's Kiora. like, Ajani just keeps coming. And, and Kiora. Technically, technically, and Kiora, who is pretending to be a, uh, a Theron myth, a, a but, Greek uh, myth. Well, no, no, no. People just assumed she was all kinds of other people, and she just went this is with true. it. That is fair. Everyone was like, Are you Thassa? And she's like, Yeah, I am Thassa. <laughs> uh, so that's entirely fair. Lorelai's got a point. I personally am just shocked that a planeswalker fell in love with a non-planeswalker character, and then the non-planeswalker character has a tragic death. Like this has never happened in any other story. So anyway, eventually uh she and Ajani make it into Nyx with Godsend. Uh Elspeth ends up doing an ordeal for Erebos instead of Heliod. And uh, in order to get into Nyx and agrees to trade her life for Daxos's uh, if she succeeds. So they get up to get up to Nyx and uh, they are able to kill Xenagos. Uh, however, as they're he leaving, Heliod's chasing them. Heliod is chasing them. And he is not happy because of all the things Elspeth has done that have angered him. And also, he's just kind of a dick. Yeah, I have to. I have to I have to step in for a second because I promised Brian, who could not be <laughs> on the show today, to say some nasty words about Heliod. Uh, that guy is just not cool, and I'm really glad he got what's coming to him. Uh, eventually, it takes a little while, but he does get uh, shanked. So good riddance. <laughs> so yeah, he he stab he takes uh, Godsend and stabs Elspeth with it, uh, and commands a Johnny to bring her her body back to Theros so that her soul can go to the underworld uh and 
we see her again years later in Theros Beyond Death, where we only got a story summary, but uh, basically... Hey, the, uh, two, hold on. To Al's best credit, she fulfills her deal with Erebos. She does go oh, to the I underworld. Forgot. Yeah, yeah. And Daxo, he does let Daxos back. And as a return. And and his body and soul separate, and his body becomes a return with no memory of its past life, and his soul becomes an effervescent Eidolon. And uh that's why you don't make deals with Greek gods, because they suck and are lying assholes. Also true. <laughs> you mean we had the opportunity for a Daxos and Daxos team up card? No, because he becomes a demigod later. They his yeah. soul and body get reunited by Helia. That's a whole. It's literally on a card in Theros Beyond Death, Chris. I think they should have not done that because a Daxos and Daxos team up card would have been great, <laughs> <laughs> and they missed an opportunity. All right. So um, then in Theros Beyond Death, Elspeth is sort of enjoying afterlife. She's in the paradise version of the underworld. We don't need to get into details too much there. Uh, but Ashiok appears to torment her and learns of new Phyrexia from her. Uh, and during one of their nightmares, Elspeth realizes what's going on and seizes this nightmare version of Heliod's spear that uh, Ashiok was tormenting her with uh, and is able to keep it. There's weird metaphysical properties in the underworld and in Theros in general that makes Ashiok's, Ashiok's magic more potent because it has to do with... Uh, the, the inherent magic in Theros has to do with, like, the collective unconscious and dreams are, you know, the unconscious. So um, she runs through the underworld, builds up a bunch of support, uh, ends up tricking Heliod into coming to the underworld to challenge her because she keeps claiming she has the real spear. Uh, and it turns out to be a trap. And she, in another deal where um, he, he, Erebos actually makes good is uh, she helps Erebos trap Heliod in the underworld, and uh, she's able to return to life as a true version of herself. And so, I mean, th this is the big difference, is when you're trading your life for Daxos's, you are trying to do something noble for yourself. But the second deal she makes with Erebos is is to get Erebos something he wants, which is yep. to, be, to, to pull one over on Heliod, uh, because if you want the gods to play ball with you, you help them fuck around with the other gods and screw up their lives. Because <laughs> that's that pettiness is is the highest ideal for them. Uh, so Elspeth then meets up with a Johnny again and learns of what he believes is her home plane. Yeah. Capenna. Uh, so she gets involved in she's kind of trying to figure out the history there and gets involved in essentially a, a gang war between the families uh, where she meets the young girl named Giada. And Giada, it turns out, is a budding angel, the first one on the plane in a long time. And they were using her to make more Halo. They referred to her as the font. So she helps Giada escape and Giada ends up uh starting to ascend into a proper angel uh which sends out waves of power that starts waking up all these other angels that had been turned into statues on new capenna and uh elspeth also meets up with vivian reed who has some information that was uh passed to her from from urabrask and tezzeret 
uh, that might the Gatewatch might want some help with. So the two of them head to Dominaria together uh, and meet up. And there's some really great God, that Brothers War story is so good. Uh, mm-hmm. this, the the quote unquote side stories uh, where Elspeth, who has actually never met any of the Gatewatch except for a Johnny and a Johnny is a Phyrexian by the point time she meets them. So she's like very disconnected from this group because she's literally never met any of them. Before. She was she was dead the entire Gatewatch saga. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I think other than Garrick, um, she's she's like the only one of the original 10 planeswalkers that did not really interact with more than one or two other planeswalkers. Garrick has interacted with multiple members of the Gatewatch, though. And yeah, Liliana uh, and J- Jason Liliana, Jason yeah. Liliana. Yeah. But Elspeth has literally like never even talked to them except for a Johnny. But that was like way before he was even like on the Gatewatch radar. So Elspeth gets involved. Oh, I didn't even mention her sword. She goes through weapons like nobody's business. Like they, <laughs> I can't tell you. She she picks them up. She puts them down. That's all there is. Weapons to it. and bodies. She's on like her third body now. Her like fourth or fifth sword or something. It's okay. It's she odd. has godsend for like 15 years. But this is true. <laughs> she does have it for a long time. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. And then she dies and it's all held from there weapon wise <laughs> uh so anyway uh, she ends up inserting herself into the phyrexian strike team and thanks sarah she does uh because the strike team mission to new phyrexia and phyrexia will be one immediately goes to hell that is very recent uh if you don't know what happened go back and read it um and she ends up in order to keep uh the silex from exploding and potentially you know wiping out every plane that new phyrexia has connected to at that point uh she planes walks with it into the blind eternities and we don't see her again because she's dead and that's the end of the episode but um so this is like her second death uh and she ends up going into this like metaphysical state where she meets with like an avatar of sarah which we can we can talk about all that in a second yeah uh who helps her transform into the angel she was always meant to be now there are hints that she was like she was like giada as a new Penant angel uh and there are hints that she's also partly becoming a sarah angel and we'll talk about all that in a second and so she comes back uh at like exactly the right time we've talked about these stories a lot recently so we're not gonna get too much into that uh and ends up helping save the day ensuring that the right things happen in order for uh new phyrexia to be stopped uh, and so that's kind of Elspeth's backstory up until this point. She is now this powerful archangel uh, planeswalker. Yeah, never saw it coming. Had no idea she would be an angel. There was no foreshadowing at all. <sighs> what a great comment, Christopher. So, yeah, there were a few breadcrumbs. This one was tough because, uh, you know, I, I I work on the stories as like an editor. It is tough finding the balance between uh, just enough of a hint without things being obvious um and i think it's sort of it's sort of got there you can kind of tell from early on elspeth is intended to be sort of a sarah analog because mm-hmm. all the way back in shards of alara there are some references to things where she says like if others if the others knew what i can do they would call me an angel uh and that was from honor bound part one so uh, you know like all the way back there are definitely parallels her story itself 
very much parallels uh, Sarah's story. Yeah, they her her original design, um, uh, vi- visual design and clothing uh, is very reminiscent of Sarah's uh, outfits in um, the Urza block. Uh, she has the white hood uh, to the point where a lot of people thought Elspeth was blonde like Sarah. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, in the dual decks god wait no she was in a couple i think it was the elspeth versus kiora dual deck uh she gets uh a reprint of decree of justice uh with new art that depicts angels wearing her clothing um so she she is literally uh granted the ability to summon angels magically uh and uh gives her that other connection um oh you know i completely forgot about that yeah look at that that decree of justice is very cool mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um and like i think it's important that like the you know you you mentioned the the planeswalker ability she uses on rafiq is like a little angelic boost um it's very similar to uh the minus ability on her new card from March of the Machine, uh, which I believe was probably intentional. Um, it's yeah. also the card. It's the ability itself is a Sarah's embrace. Yeah. Like th- there were lots of tiny little references for years, And like this is this was at an era like, you know, there were a couple years between Alara and uh, and Scars and then Theros and. Um, and it, it's actually really weird that we saw so much of Elspeth because um, we mostly didn't get a lot from one specific character sequentially at all during that era of storytelling. Um, but even with like, you know, freak, frequent story appearances, there's still years between appearances for Elspeth. Um, and so we got like little trickling hints of, of associations. And that was kind of it for a while. So during the Phyrexian arc, when we brought her to New Capenna, uh, New Capenna, sorry, I got to get that out every once in a while. Uh, in episode five, as Giada is going over, going through this like apotheosis, uh, there's a quote about how Elspeth blinked several times. Uh, it wasn't a trick of the light. These statues gave off their own glow, much like Giada, like she stared at her own palms. Had she not seen it before now? dimmer than the rest but elspeth was emitting the faintest golden haze which that one i i was pretty sure from that line that more people would be sure she yeah. was going to become an angel uh some people had mentioned alex kessler it. alex kessler was all in on that and yeah. like he, completely right on that front and yep. exactly why he was right was but i didn't see very many other uh major people going that route uh, it, it's a thing that some people read this line and correctly guessed that she was being going to become an angel. Um, th- this was the big hint. Um, you know, like, I, I don't think anyone expects, like, a throwaway line from a webcomic from 15 years ago to matter. Um, except people like us or other people who expect those <laughs> kinds of things. Uh, but, you know, when a year, a year ahead of time, that was... I don't, I don't, a breadcrumb the size of, you know, uh, well, what was the, is a, a small breadcrumb the size of a large breadcrumb? <laughs> uh, <laughs> you, 
yeah, small boulder uh, the size of a large boulder. Yeah, that that's the reference, Chris. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm a big uh, yeah, boulder that, fan. That, that, I'm a boulder fanatic, really. Uh, I have not a lot of strong opinions about Colorado. That's not true. Fantastic, fantastic <laughs> meat. Um, I take it back. Colorado, Colorado. If you like meat, especially game meat, Colorado, good stuff. Go to Denver. Most really, really ADHD segue we've had in a long time. <laughs> Is how I roll. So, you know, that was our first big hint. The second one kind uh, came from The Brothers War, Chapter mm-hmm. 4. Mm-hmm. Uh, this one was easier because this is by this is written by Miguel, uh, Miguel Lopez, uh, who is wonderful. I always love was working with him. And uh, but because he works on the team, it was much easier to slide, you know, a reference in without having to, like, finesse a whole lot because he knew how things were going to play out. This was Reinhardt. Was this Reinhardt? Oh my yeah. god! M- Miguel did. I'm sorry, Miguel did the main story. Yeah, I got yeah. I got confused. I'm sorry, Reinhardt. I love you too, Reinhardt Suarez, <laughs> who is also excellent and is definitely the deep lore guy. Uh, we've had him on the podcast before. Uh, in his line, he wrote, "Every being is part of a song," said Ren, "a melody that contributes to the whole." But you, there are two melodies in you. One is a single note, constant and unerring. The other is cleft and Arya throttled midway. And she and Elspeth replies with like, I you must be mistaken. Uh, And Ren replies to her. There is no mistake. It is as if you live two separate lives, one in light, one in shadow. And I think a lot of people interpreted this as like um, just kind of her her self-doubt and stuff. But there were a lot of characters that were filled with doubt in that area and Ren is the only one who had that kind of discussion with Elspeth and she Ren didn't know exactly what she was looking at but that was a reference to um Elspeth's angelic nature see i thought it since it was a story from Reinhardt i thought that this was a reference to Elspeth being half elf uh since that would make her an elf of deep shadows or at least half elf of well, deep shadows so i kind of sorry sorry chris uh that's a separate character named Elspeth <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> Looking oh forward to Archdruid Elfspeth, Elfspeth in the next set. That, thanks, I'm here oh almost God. every week. Uh, <laughs> uh, so those are, you know, the, there were there were a couple hints like that. There were also some hints on uh, on cards. Uh, there was one in particular that was one of the um, Brothers War artifacts. Uh, where Karn has a quote talking about how Elspeth, how Sarah made her angels from the souls of fallen warriors. And Elspeth, even at this point, she was dead. Like, this is a reconstituted Elspeth. Um, it takes her second death to finally turn angel. But yeah, who knows what would have what happened if her soul hadn't been captured by the underworld. Yeah, that's on the um, um, Platinum Angel uh, flavor text. From yeah, the that's the word. Uh, I just saw a, a video did this art. Hell yeah. I love a video. He's great. Uh, a video is great. Um, this is a great time for me to ask a question uh, yeah. that I've been wondering. Um, what What's up with Sarah Angels? Like, what what makes them special? And maybe, like, the nature of Sarah Angels? Like, Wow, I'm glad you asked, Chris. D- that definitely <laughs> organic and natural question and not the next bullet on our agenda. Uh, so, Sarah Angels, let's talk about what they are for, for a quick second. 
Uh, so Sarah, back in the day, we've had a whole episode talking about Sarah before, but she was this planeswalker uh, who created her own heavenly plane uh, called Sarah's Realm. Uh, and she populated it with angels, and these angels were able to be summoned to other planes across the multiverse. And so we know they are on, uh, at least uh, on Dominaria, uh, where they'd been there for thousands of years. Um, <clears throat> and how she would make these is she would find souls of dead warriors, basically noble, honorable warriors, uh, and she would like transmute them into angels in order to um, uh, in, in order to continue to serve, basically, uh, and continue to do good. And presumably what we saw happen with Elspeth happened to a lot of Sarah angels and they're given a choice as to whether or not they want to come back. Um, Sarah has also uh, created and before she died, she created an enchantment on Circe. Uh, on Dominaria, this location where her grand cathedral is, and angels continue to be born there um, or continue to manifest there, uh, even now, centuries after she had died. Like Tiana. Tiana? Like Tiana, right. right. Which is why name? people... So if you weren't around for the Dominaria 2018, one of the big theories is that Tiana was actually the incarnation of, like, Hannah's soul, and that Arvad was like a reincarnation of um, of Gerard, uh, but you know there's there's lots of parallels between those Gerard, two characters. Gerard was born in Urza's test tubes. He doesn't have a soul. No, he wasn't born in a test tube. He was his uh, Urza did like eugenics experiments on his family members. Yeah, but he I was know. born the old fashioned way. But like, yeah, his parents I'm, had sex. I'm, <laughs> eugenics babies don't have souls they don't get rewarded like that eugenics is bad and and that's the consequence they pay fair enough i i mostly just want to be mean to gerard and urza <laughs> that is fair that is entirely fair uh so then new capenna angels meanwhile uh we don't know a ton about how they are created uh we see giada and elspeth at this point both appear to be normal humans until their apotheosis until the moment that they uh more fully embrace their angelic nature yeah it, like it's it's pretty clear that two two living humans became angels because they were from new Campana, which means that it this might not be the origin of all the angels um but uh, this is an origin of at least some of the angels on New Capenna. So this, uh... Well, I mean, Elspeth was not alive when she became an angel. I mean, that's true. She that was on true. her, she, she was she on was her human. way. She, she could have been. She was human, yeah. She was human, and she literally admits, uh, emits Halo when Giada is awakening all the angels. Like, the the power is already in her. The angelic power is already in her when she's alive, is my point. My So my headcanon, and I want to be really clear, this is my headcanon, because nothing has been established in fiction, is that the New Capenon angels are mortals who are just born for one way, one reason, for whatever reason, with the ability to, like, ascend. They're, like, not planeswalkers but they're like a similar kind of deal where they're like uh they are they can ascend to become angels during their mortal lifetime if like the right conditions are met 
Yeah. That's my head canon. I feel like there's it makes sense with like Giada being a little girl implying she was born the old fashioned well, way. She was like 16, but yeah. yeah well, oh. yeah, but being young. We we don't we don't ever see her parents. I don't think she ever talks about them and we know of Elspeth's parents, but we don't really know if she was born like like you know, we don't we don't see the conception for sure. Oh <laughs> so like <laughs> For all we know, there's some sort of like weird method by which an angel baby just shows up on your doorstep carried by like an angel stork or something. Um, So we don't necessarily know if that's the case, but like, yeah. An angel stork would be called an Avon. (laughs) (laughs) All right, moving on, moving on. We've just got the background for Tashar. He's a Sarah Avon stork. He just delivers little baby angels to people until he became Frexian. So too bad. to uh, So anyway, Sarah, when she meets, uh, not Sarah, Elspeth, when she like meets the shadow of Sarah, because I should be clear, Sarah is not back to life. Sarah is not Elspeth's mother. Uh, none, all of those things like none, none, none. Sarah is just this is just like uh, a piece of Sarah's power appearing to, to Elspeth in the same way that like. We have the card Soul of Wind Grace. It's like an avatar of her power. Mm-hmm. But, uh, and but the why reason would, we why would any of Sarah's power still exist? Like, wasn't her whole plane collapsed? Amazing question, Christopher. Yeah. So Sarah's realm was collapsed into the Sarah's realm power stone, which was used to power the weatherlight. When the original weatherlight was destroyed, the power stone went to the Church of Sarah uh, and returned to them for safekeeping. Until Joyra. Uh, rebuilds the weather light and requests the power stone in order to power it again. Now, during and that happened in the first Dominaria. During Dominaria United, the weather light was completed, and the last spot Oops. that wasn't completed was right near Sarah's Realm Power Stone because it has this purifying radiance there. Which I should note, angels have always. That, that's something else I'll talk about in a second. Uh, angels versus Phyrexia. Uh. <clears throat> The Sarah's Realm Power Stone was rescued from there. Uh, and we don't see exactly what happens to it in between, uh, but it is heavily, heavily, heavily implied to be the Power Stone that Teferi is after when a Johnny jumps him in the Brothers War cinematic trailer, uh, which is canon, honestly. And, and in, in my head, that is a Sarah's Realm Power Stone because it's the only thing that makes sense for this particular story because mm-hmm. later we see it in, we see the Sarah's Realm Power Stone in Teferi's possession during the Brothers War story where it is used to help power the temporal anchor now when Teferi at the end of the Brothers War story when Teferi is talking to Urza the Sarah's Realm Power Stone implodes and its power shunts Teferi to where he needs to be uh and then it just kind of isn't mentioned again and i really thought more people would latch onto that but it is kind of like a blink and you'll miss it reference that it is the sarah's realm power stone and not just a power stone has anyone told the church of sarah on dominaria that one of their most holy and sacred relics was used to power a time machine that blew up uh no and teferi is living on zelfir now so he doesn't have to <laughs> Oh, no, it's so like there were there were a lot of very good small references uh, that the uh, the time machine itself is based off of Urza's blueprints for his time machine from 
time, time streams. Uh, time streams. Yep. Uh, the 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 one that Karn used to break time, um, and the uh, coffin apparatus that Teferi gets in is based off of Tanos's coffin. Uh, mm-hmm. So so it it tied a bunch of uh, old relics together, uh, including the the one weird uh like urza memory sphere we learn uh that teferi recovered in the dominaria 2018 story um yeah it was and the moon silver the moon silver key was was part of that yeah they just they just took all the MacGuffins and shoved them together into a time machine i like to think of it as like teferi's legacy like urza assembled all this random it was definitely it was a hundred percent a reference to the legacy oh yeah Cool. Uh, where Urza assembled all this random crap that made this super weapon, and Teferi kind of did the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, um, so the Sarah that appears is like an avatar from essentially the Sarah's realm power stone. Uh, this this living intelligent power that is able to uh, communicate with Elspeth and help guide her during her transformation. Uh, it it it. It, it's fun. I, I really, uh, I know the story could have been longer, but I think with the space that was there, it ended up turning out pretty well, especially this particular reveal and that moment. Like there aren't many magic stories that have really made me feel something. And Kay's stories, especially around like Elspeth's transformation, definitely did it. Uh, I should also mention that Elspeth like all the people she meets were deliberate. Like she, I think Aran is referenced in that mm-hmm. in the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, Daxos is referenced. Um, all her these mom. old, yeah, her mom. All these old attachments uh, that she ultimately needs to let go of in order to complete her ascension. Uh, so yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, That's... like it's really cool and all that Elspeth became like a Sarah Angel and the angels did all this stuff, but like. Is it is it ever really explained so, that like why angels are just so good against Phyrexia? Because it just seemed kind of kind of hold on, hold on. Uh, t- typically, she's not like entirely a Saren angel. She does have the Art Deco wings of uh, Nuka Penna angel, so she's like angelic fusion cuisine. Oh, I should mention too. Uh, another one of the hints that Elspeth might become an angel was the Bant angels also being born from mortals. Like dead, uh, honored heroes on Bant are the ones who become angels, uh, and that was another, I assume, trap door that they could potentially make her an angel in the future mm-hmm. if they wanted to. Uh, but anyway, you're asking why El- angels were so strong against Phyrexia, uh, and there's it's it's really a simple answer is that there's nothing inherent in angels really that makes them stronger. They're like the strongest form of divinity on most planes. And you combine with that, that they are uh, beings of like purity and um, staving off corruption. Like even you see the Sarah's Realm Power Stone has positive effects on uh, Sengir vampires in in Arvad, where he no longer has to feed or prey on people uh, when he's under its influence, which oops, it's gone now. I hope that works out okay. Uh, <laughs> what, what is oh okay so maybe 
a vampire who served on the weather like gets a little hungry what's the worst that could happen in such a situation what he takes over an entire evil plane <laughs> whoopsie daisy well that, i mean he is that's sort a of dating... to Krovax, who becomes evan car of wrath yeah it's a surprise tool that'll help later um yeah that's all i really had to say on this i think that's let me just check my oh. notes see if i have something i wanted to bring up I will say that uh, angels are often uh, represented as like beings of white mana, uh, or at least sometimes have been called like constructs of white mana. Um, definitely angels in general are usually beacons of white mana in some way, shape or form. Uh, and we did see in the the original Phyrexian invasion of Dominaria, or I guess like the one that, um, you know, invasion set is about. Uh, they were Apocalypse. defeated by the Null Moon, concentrating white mana. So, like, it's not unheard of for Phyrexia to be beaten back by lots of white mana. Yeah. yeah. Also, I'll I'll mention that uh, the the original legacy weapon that killed Yogmoth uh, was said it's actually described as having like an angelic light to it, or like mm-hmm. a holy light to it. Uh, oh, there's another there's another common question about this. So angels and pl- being a planeswalker. Uh, so Elspeth is not a created being in the sense that like she's not like other angels. It's a lot like Obnixilis, who was a mortal transformed into a demon. Elspeth is sort of a mortal transformed into an angel, literally made from a soul. Uh, so she has that soul. Uh, so she has that spark. That's it's it's like that. Uh, regular angels, for the most part, are more like uh, mono white elementals, almost. Uh, not quite, but they're like manifestations of white mana, and not like living beings that are born. Uh, but presumably, any if if the whole Nukapenan angels are all mortals, um, any Nukapenan angel that was also a planeswalker might be able to be an angel planeswalker. It's just a matter of having the right circumstances. Yeah, but they probably lost their spark recently anyway, so. Yeah, we'll talk about that. <laughs> so that's going to be, we have a plan to talk more about like the future of the multiverse between the mass desparking and the omen paths. Uh, we're going to talk about that after Lord of the Rings stuff, because uh, we just had to bump it for, for time. And also we have like, two to three months to fill between <laughs> drain. Yeah. Uh, so we gotta we gotta talk about something can I, can I give my sarcastic answer why angels are good at fighting pyrexia absolutely well that's because in the game magic the gathering the color white symbolizes good and the color black symbolizes evil <laughs> i'm in physical pain right now <laughs> i'm in physical pain i uh fully agree with that because the most evil characters in the history of magic have always had black in their color pie uh, and that being the umazawas who are traitors and uh murderers of our lord nicobolus and they should be stopped get, get off this podcast <laughs> uh i i do want to address one question that is in our live listen chat so could sarah 1v1 yogmoth now so she, she couldn't even prevent her own realm from being corrupted by phyrexia and was like, she... actually, I'm going to leave now. Thanks. It was if Sarah really put her mind to it and brought all her angels, I think. Maybe. Um, I don't think so. Not not one on one. 
but yeah. I mean, Yogmoth killed a lot of planeswalkers during the invasion in terms of like, like you didn't see planeswalkers die a whole lot uh, then, in yeah. pre-mending days. And he slaughters like four or five of them. Wait, hold on. Well, Urza does three? some of those. A two or three? Because he, yeah. he kills Bolivar, he kills Guff. Thank God. Most uh, of the he ones he Taser? kills are distracted with other things or trying to protect others rather than themselves. Like, Bolivar protects the, the Murfolk colony. He still kills him. Uh, and again, yeah, no, you're true. He does, he does kill are him. Are you saying Sarah wouldn't be protecting people? I, in... In sure, Sarah's defense, uh, a that's bunch fair. of her angels are refugees from, um, you know, a, a lot of the refugees from Sarah's realm settle in Dominaria, and a lot of them do fight in uh, the invasion, and some survive. So uh, Lyra um, uh, is a is Saren in that she is from Sarah's realm and fought in the invasion and is still alive today. Uh, there's you know the the backface uh, angel on. Um, the uh, Invasion of Dominaria card uh, the flavor text calls out as an angel who remembers all these events. So uh, a bunch of Saren angels have been fighting Phyrexia for literally centuries and are still okay. So uh, I, I think the question of could Sarah beat Yogmoth is flawed in the fact that I don't think Sarah would fight. I don't think Sarah is... Um, I mean, like, she does have her, her battle she, prowess. She's a lover. But she's, yeah, she's, she's not a fighter. She's her interests are not in combat or war uh, in the same way that Yogmoth is. So like, yeah, Yogmoth could probably kill her pretty easily, but then like Yogmoth couldn't uh, keep a civilization stable for very long uh, and yeah. couldn't keep himself alive. So like, well, I guess neither could Sarah. This is a bad, this is, I'm aborting this. I'm aborting this. <laughs> We're done. Yogmoth was also <laughs> taking a nap most of the time Phyrexia was around. So yeah. They had to be like, why doesn't Yogmoth just conquer Dominari? He was sleeping, okay? He was sleeping. God, um, love a nap. Honestly, it's the most his most relatable quality. Uh, so <laughs> let's 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 call it. Let's yeah, move on to I'm, final like, thoughts. This is, this is this is like I could look. I could fill another ten minutes, but uh, we absolutely could. But also, I have <laughs> children, and I'm not sure their mother is home yet. And I want to relieve their grandma. Uh, yeah. Uh, final thoughts. Uh, I'm losing my mind. Uh, I, I am staring into a hot pink abyss and it is Greta Gerwig's, uh, Barbie film. And I, I have so many, so many brainworms. How does this movie exist? How do, this is an IP movie from a toy company about a children's doll. And how is this, this movie looks insane. What are, the things happening in this film? I, I haven't seen anything close to this since the lego movie and this is just i don't know how to describe the barbie movie because it's it's like a deconstruction and a reconstruction but like barbie's been deconstructed so many times oh well another deconstruction of barbie i'll just put it on the shelf and it's like the 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 vault from uh raiders of the lost ark of barbie deconstruction except this one doesn't feel like any of those things and it's bizarre I don't know how Ryan Gosling is literally the perfect Ken casting and Margot Robbie could do like literally anything she wants. She is one of the most talented people working in Hollywood these days. And I just, I can't wrap my head around this film and everyone involved 
keeps making public statements about it that are like batshit insane levels of of media thought and i i have to know i have to see this film i have to understand what is happening i think for listeners to grasp how obsessed you are with this film is that um we literally just got two days ago a release of destiny 2 uh that involves the ocean and women and you are talking about barbie Work yeah. done by Allison Lurs, no less. Yeah, yeah so this is this stuff. is a big deal in the world of Lorelai. No, like we we literally got confirmation that one of my favorite Destiny Two NPCs, Maya Sundaresh from the Golden Age, who has been a mainstay in Destiny lore books for literally ten years, uh, it was a lesbian and had a wife. Um, and that is not my final thought. Uh, <laughs> except now it kind of is. It is, uh, it is sort of now. Like, I. Barbie movie. I, I I can't. I can't. I can't. It's this weird, perfect, eldritch abomination thing, but it's not. It is. It is ideal and it is profane at the same time. And I don't. It's. I don't know how this movie got made. And I'm ending this here because I will literally talk about it for like, this is how we feel the next 10 minutes is just being confused at how this movie exists and being curious about it. And I'm excited. Jay, what's your final thought? That's it. My final thought is I cannot find time to hop on the new Destiny season because I'm too busy playing Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom, uh, which is a game about poor emergency management policy. Uh, that led to the Hudson Construction Company uh, embezzling probably thousands of rupees from the Hyrulean government uh, in order to fund his own um, developments inside a wetland that he probably is paying off the government to not uh, redefine as a flood zone so that he can build there. Uh, and it's just disgusting, honestly. It's it's as as my good friend Kaburi put it, the real tears of the kingdom are capitalism. No, but in all seriousness, oh my god, the new Zelda game is so much fun. It's so I'm good, and it's it. not even my final thought. My final thought isn't even about all the new slutty tops they put in this game for Link to wear. Whoa, it's so good. Link is a hoe in this game. Like I've seen these outfits, and yeah, it is. They are they are quite good. I don't think uh, slutty tops is a term you'd ever hear with Link. He's a hoe. What can we say? Anyway, I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't. <laughs> it, it's pronounced vo, but okay. Oh, you're right. You are. <laughs> that is true. Uh, but also, the thing that was just revealed that lives rent free in my head is the Metal Gear Solid Three remake. Which, look, there are Metal Gear Solid Three fans, and then there is me. Who've plays who's played it every difficulty interrogated every single guard and wrote a guide on it because i was so obsessed with this game uh that it was fun for me to play it a thousand times and interrogate every other every guard in the game on every difficulty and uh enjoy that experience and like this new one is coming and it's it's breaking my brain like it better be good my final thought is also about a video game uh that is not new. Uh, it is 12 years old. It is the video game Dragon Age 2. Uh, I, <laughs> so in about the span of a week, I put 60 hours into Dragon Age Origins um, and Awakening the expansion. I finished it. I uh, did not 100% everything, but like, you know, I did everything I could. Um, 
went immediately into Dragon Age 2. And boy, is the story for this game so good. And is the game itself not good? <laughs> Dragon Age 2 is such a good story and a game that is um, not the best that I think Bioware could have done. Uh wow the story is really good i'm enjoying it a lot i will probably put like 30 to 40 hours into this game too um before moving on to dragon age inquisition because for some reason i've convinced myself that i need to do all of dragon age uh if you listeners out there know any uh dragon age lore experts people who have worked on dragon age or who run dragon age lore enjoying content stuff like podcasts or youtube channels or whatever uh let me know please because one i would like to watch more dragon age lore stuff and two uh, it could be a really cool beyond the multiverse i'm kind of obsessed right now the deep lore of um dragon age is is genuinely insane and i love that the deep lore from the first two games uh, i'm not even gonna ruin it for you so anyway yeah. <laughs> deep lore of dragon age good it is is the plural dragon ages or dragon's age you know i'm i don't know but i do want to share a little fun tidbit about dragon age is that the name of the world in which this all takes place is thedas t-h-e-d-a-s also known as the dragon age setting yep yep that's a funny <laughs> one that is cough that is a cough right there that, that is, is a cough cough of the hammer right Thetis, there. Yep. the dragon age setting it's great Laura, you want to segue us <laughs> yep <laughs> Segway, segway, segway. Uh, if you like our show, you can go to patreon.com slash thevorthoscast. When you're there, you might go like, hey, you mentioned the live listen channel earlier in the in the show. What does that mean? Well, kind listeners, uh, kind and generous listeners who would like us to keep making a show. Uh, if you support us on Patreon, uh, everyone uh, on any tier gets access to our Discord community. And we even have uh, a higher level tier where you can become a live listener. Uh, we record our shows on Thursday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern time. So if that's the time you have available and you want to come hang out and listen to us record the shows, uh, chat with us before and after, and, uh, you know, get to hear the podcast a couple days early, uh, you can do that. That's just a thing. That's an option. You could hear us try and do our intro three times in a row. I'm having a, a mic. I might need a new microphone. <laughs> if you want to support Lorelai getting a new microphone, signing up for the Patreon is the easiest way to do that. Uh, well, not really. Actually, That's the easiest way I would just said. be to give Lorelai money. Um, but it would actually be easiest to just buy me a microphone giving me money still requires me to do a transaction that's still an additional step but that's neither here nor there this makes it sound like i'm asking people to pay for a new microphone for me and that's not what i said i want to be clear about this i have autism and i have to over explain that that this is not the intent of my statements well we can just you know buy End it the episode. podcast funds and have it mailed to you and thank you all for listening <laughs> this has been the vorthos cast <laughs>